0: Well, this morning really is a is a charge and kind of a, more of a commissioning for you guys than than a, maybe a typical sermon. Um, and the reason why is because um, I have titled today's message, message the least of these. And so, this morning I kind of want to point out four different things as we as I talk this morning. Number one is who are the least of these. Jesus had them watch him, and then. Jesus watched them, and then Jesus sent them. So we first have, who are the least of these? They watched Jesus, Jesus watched them, and then lastly, Jesus sent them. So who are the least of these? Well, it's those that Jesus invited and called to do the work of the Father. In Luke chapter 6, verse 13, it says, He chose from them twelve. Jesus was strategic and had a plan. When Jesus had this strategic plan, when choosing these 12 men, he basically said, hey, this is how we're going to evangelize to the world. This is how we're going to bring the message of my Father here. So how did Jesus recruit those that would follow him and work for him, that would work for the Father? Evangelism. We have a simple word for how God recruits those that he is going to use, and it's called evangelism. And so for me, when I think about the word evangelism, and I know for you, the word evangelism might mean something different. But for me, whenever I think of evangelism, I think of Billy Graham Crusade. And the other thing that I immediately go to is uh, promise keepers. I remember when I was, I think, 12 years old, somebody took me to a promise keepers conference. It was in the Astrodome, and it was this massive thing I had no idea What I was even walking into. And in the course of the weekend, hundreds and hundreds of people trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But I'm curious and I wonder what you guys think evangelism is. Is it a mission trip? Is it something that it's a program or a conference here at a church? But evangelism is not those things. Yes, Jesus spoke to the masses. Yes, Jesus called out to those to come listen to him speak. But Jesus' master plan of evangelism did not necessarily always mean to the masses. Robert Coleman, in his book, Master Plan of Evangelism, I think eloquently shares with us what Jesus' plan and strategy was for evangelism. And I'm just going to read straight from his book. He chose from them 12, Luke six thirteen. Men were his method. It all started by Jesus calling a few men to follow him. This revealed immediately the direction his evangelistic strategy would take. His concern was not with programs to reach the multitudes, but with men whom the multitudes would follow. Remarkable as it may seem, Jesus started to gather these men before he ever organized an evangelistic campaign or even preached a sermon in public. Men were his method of winning the world to God. The initial objective of Jesus' plan was to enlist men who could bear witness to his life and carry on his work, after he returned to the Father. John and Andrew were the first to be invited as Jesus left the scene of the great revival. Andrew then brought his brother Peter. The next day, Jesus found Philip on his way to Galilee, and Philip found Nathaniel. This is no evidence of haste, in the selection of these disciples just determination. Jesus then, the brother of John, is not mentioned as one of the group until the the four fishermen are revealed several months later. I'm going to jump a little bit further down. As one might expect, these early efforts of soul winning had no immediate effect upon the religious life of that day. But that did not matter greatly. For, it is, for, it at, <clears throat> for as it turned out, these few converts of the Lord were destined to become the leaders of his church that was to go with the gospel to the whole world. And from that standpoint of his ultimate purpose, the significance of their lives would be felt throughout eternity. That's the only thing that counts. Jesus' master plan of evangelism was this. I'm going to go get who I'm going to disciple, and I'm going to bring him with me. I'm going to set my heart on the Lord, and he's going to reveal to me who he wants me to bring along with him. Who is supposed to tag along with me? The least of these. Jesus had called out to the least of these and he said, I'm going to make you leaders of the church. I'm going to call you as men and as women and I'm going to say, who are the least of these that I'm going to invite to do this with? See, when he says the least of these, I truly believe that the Lord is not saying, I want the rich, I want the poor, I want the impoverished. He says, I want the humble at heart that is willing to hear the calling on the Lord and that they are going to say, Yes, Lord, because your name and your renown are the desires of our soul. Let me put it this way to you. Let's say that Jesus in modern time was walking through an office building and he walked up to the first cubicle he saw and he said, he saw an architect sitting building the foundations of a multi-million dollar building. And you know what he would say to him? Would you stop building this building and come help me lay the foundations of the world for eternity through, my, through me and, through, and for my Father? And, of course, that man would put his glasses down, and he said, yes, I will. And he stands up, and he walks for Jesus. What if God walked up, or Jesus walked up to a framer that's building a house, and he's this framer is hot and sweaty, just like Peter. When Jesus was walking through Galilee and saw Peter and said, put down your nets and follow me, he walked up to a carpenter, and he said, stop building the frame of this home and help me build the framework of eternity. And the carpenter takes his tool belt off, and he puts it down, and he says, I will. So once we had kind of understand Jesus' master plan of evangelism was to take these few, least of these men that were willing to say, yes, Lord, and they would take up their cross, right? And they would begin to walk with Jesus. And then Jesus is to say to them, now watch me. I have called you. I've evangelized. I've gotten you. Now it's time for you to watch me do what I do so that you can carry on the work of the gospel. So how did these men watch Jesus? Well, number one, Jesus showed and taught them through parables. As Jesus taught the multitudes, as he taught people, as he taught the disciples, he'd begin to lay out the talons. He would begin to lay out the sower of the seed. And as the disciples... He would be finishing with this sermon or this talk or the group of people that he was ministering to, the disciples would pull him aside and say, what does this mean? And Jesus would begin to unpack even to the disciples, I am revealing the kingdom of heaven to you. You have this knowledge. Now, let's see what you do with it. I'm reminded of the story of Zacchaeus and I love Zacchaeus and I, I teach the students this all the time. Zacchaeus, a wee little man and a wee little man was, was he. So Zacchaeus, he hears that Jesus is going through Jericho, and so here comes Jesus. Jesus has his entourage of disciples and all these men that just want to and women that want to touch touch him, that wants to be healed. But Jesus is a wee little man, and he can't see, so he climbs up the sycamore tree and he waits for Jesus to come by. And all of a sudden, Jesus begins to walk by Zacchaeus, and he stops. And I can only imagine this. I love this part of the story. Jesus stops and he looks up and he says, "Zacchaeus, will you get down from there?" And Zacchaeus shimmies down the tree. And he says, I'm going to hang out with you today. And Zacchaeus is floored. What did that communicate to the disciples? It communicated to the disciples that once again, Zacchaeus is the least of these, willing to humble himself to climb up in that sycamore tree. And Jesus' message to the disciples was, guys, always be looking in the trees for the guys that actually want to see me and not just follow around me to say they've been with me. And again, Jesus had a teachable moment as his disciples watched him do ministry. I'm also reminded of the story of Nicodemus and the uh, Samaritan woman. In John chapter three, verse one, you don't have to, to go there, I'll read it to you. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of Jews. This man came to Jesus by night And said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do the things that you do unless God is with you. John 4, 7 through 15 talks about the the Samaritan woman. A woman from Samaria comes to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples have gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan Samaritan woman said to, to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me a woman of samaria for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans Jesus answered her if you knew the gift of God and who it is that I am saying to you give me a drink you will have asked him and he will give you living water we've got nicodemus this this pharisee this religious leader and we have this Samaritan woman who is just Samaritan woman and I've kind of made a a comparison of the two and I want to read that to you real fast Nicodemus was well known the Samaritan woman she is anonymous in the story he keeps the law she is unclean he is a religious leader she is an outsider he is a great teacher she believes in Samaritan heresies he is a government official she has no power he is morally respected she has no moral respect at all Jesus does not reveal himself to him Jesus tells her who he is he hides in his belief she meets Jesus and she shares Jesus I know for a fact that everyone in this room can relate to the Samaritan woman simply because we are all like sheep and have gone astray we've all made mistakes but yet Jesus continues to reveal himself to us once again, which one of the least of these did God really, or Christ really, reveal himself to the least of these? God calls the least of these, and he says, now watch me. Once I've recruited you, now watch me. And then what he says is, now it's time for me to watch you. And I'm going to jump all the way to Peter. Um, in Luke chapter 22, and, and this is when Peter cuts off the soldier's ear. And this is uh, this is what happens. This is what takes place in Luke chapter 22. While he was still speaking, who Christ was still speaking, there came a crowd, and a man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you portray the Son of Man with a kiss? And with those that were around him, they said, Lord, shall we take the sword? And one of them, Peter, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off the, the right ear. And Jesus, I love this part. Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed them. Later on down in the passage, it talks about how Peter began to deny Christ and how Jesus was taken away by the soldiers. And Peter and some other uh, disciples walk into a courtyard and actually Peter's on the outside. And, and then a woman walks up to Peter and says, Aren't you one of the disciples? And Peter says, no, I am not. And later on in, in the passage, Peter denies Jesus two more times, a total of three times. So in one evening, what happens? Peter cuts off some guy's ear. Jesus stands there, and he, he, <laughs> I imagine him just picking up the part of the ear and just placing it on there, and you're healed, and that guy's going, what just happened? And then all of a sudden, Peter denies Jesus three different times when Jesus wasn't around. Hit the pause button. Let me kind of tell you guys a story that happened to me last week. So, um, all this rain that's been happening. My, I've got three kids. I got a four-year-old boy. I got a two-year-old boy. I've got a one-year-old daughter, and we are ready to get out of the house. And so, Jurgen's Park opens up. Uh, Floodzilla is not around anymore. So, we decide to go to the park. And all of a sudden, Luke runs over to this playground equipment. It's kind of this 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 ladder, and it goes up about ten feet, and then the the rungs of the ladder go down, it curves, it goes back up to ten feet, and then it goes back down, and Luke runs over there, and he grabs on. He goes up about the third rung, and what ends up happening is I run over there. And I'm like, hey, buddy, what's up? He's like, daddy, I can't do it, and I'm thinking, yeah, you can. So what do I do? I, let me show you, Luke, how this is done. So I begin to crawl up. There's no accident in the story, I promise, so, so don't worry. So I begin to climb up the ladder, and then I go up and over, and I go back down, and I come back up, and then I go back down again, and I see this confidence in Luke. So he begins to crawl up, and I'm standing. I'm, I'm this you know, this worried, concerned father spotting his son. He's getting 10 feet in the air. and, Hey, Dad, I can't do it. And he wants to back down. I said, no, Luke, you can continue to go do it. And Luke, sure enough, he crawls back up to the taller part on the other side, and he crawls back down. Yeah, Luke. So proud of my son. A couple of days later, our life group decides to meet at the same park. And Abby and I are meeting with our life group, the, the adults, the students were playing. And I look over, and Luke, on his own, is at the very top of the playground equipment. And I, Abby and I were like, what, what do we do? <laughs> what do we do? And I sat there, and I just wanted to watch. And I watched Luke crawl down. He goes back up, and he's about halfway down the other side. Abby cheers and yells out, good job, Luke. And I'm like, good job, Luke. You know, imagine my four-year-old is falling. What was the significance of that in, in this passage of Scripture? When Jesus was standing next to Peter and he allowed that ear to be cut off, and what ended up happening is Jesus was able to stand there and say, no more of this, and gave him a teachable moment and healed the guy. And then later on in the passage, Jesus is no longer around. He has stepped aside because Peter has to learn a valuable lesson on his own. So what did Luke end up having to learn from this? Number one is that his dad and his mom support him and love him dearly. And number two, when he did it on his own, when he completed that challenge on his own, he had confidence in the ability to know that he can do something because his mom and dad supported him. Now, what does this mean for Peter? I truly believe that Peter needed someone to stand next to him with the first trial. And then once Jesus coached him through it, Jesus took a stand back and from a distance watched him, deny him three times. And what was... In my opinion, I think the purpose of Jesus allowing him to deny him three times was to ultimately for him to understand what the dependence of the Lord really means that I cannot do this on my own. Let me ask this question What if Peter had been commissioned after a year and a half of his training to go start the church in Acts? I think the book of Acts would look a lot different today than it does. And once again, Jesus had called the least of these. He had trained them, he had equipped them, and he sent them. They watched Jesus, Jesus watched them, and then he sent them. And we all know that once, we kind of know the rest of the story, and Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection. And then Jesus came back to meet them, and he said, now it's time for you guys to go. It's time for you guys to be sent for you to make an impact in this world and to carry out for eternity what I have physically laid out for you guys. The seniors that are graduating this year from high school, I truly believe with your moms and your dads and your spiritual mentors and leaders, I truly believe, love that video. Swanky did a great job putting that together. And you heard of all the amazing opportunities these students have had to be trained, to be equipped, to be sent. All underneath the umbrella and the security of not just the home, but also the church. But it is time for them to go. It is time for them to be sent. And that's why this Sunday is an important Sunday for us to commission these believers to go, therefore. So that they can, on their own, grab who they're going to disciple and bring them with them and then go. I pray that we have modeled as a church and continue to model as a church... What does it mean for personal, what I call personal evangelism? I'm personally gonna grab this this lady or this young man and I'm gonna take him with me. It doesn't stop there with just students. It's it's also a call to action for us as adults. In the study guide this morning that will be at the both uh, both entrances and exits, there are some discussion questions and I would love for you guys to walk through in your life groups and your small groups this week, these discussion questions. And the first one is, In what ways has God asked you to serve him? But before we can ask that question, is your heart in a position to be the least of these? Are you at a point in your life where you are humbled enough before God to say, yes, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready. What would it take for you to be equipped in order to fulfill this calling in your life? Has God ever placed someone in your life to disciple? This is a tricky question. Has God ever placed anyone in your life to disciple? And I'm not talking just about your kids. If you think that God's calling you just to disciple your kids, I don't think that's right. I think that's part of it. But what happens when God had called you to minister to someone and you said no? What if God is calling you right now to minister to somebody? Who's your support system? Who is equipping you? Can you even see what that looks like? In what ways have you been equipped to disciple others to carry on his work? Jesus did not call on 12 qualified men, but rather he qualified 12 men. Jesus' strategy, he started by calling a few men because his concern concern was not with large programs or huge church events, to reach the multitudes, but with men whom the multitudes would follow. Jesus had a strategy to enlist men that could bear witness to his life and carry on his work once he returned to the Father. Once Jesus enlisted his 12, he then began to train them by first having them watch him, then he watched them, and then he sent them. His strategy is to equip the saints for the role of ministry, for building up the body of Christ in order for believers to go so that that way we can carry on Christ's work. Simple charge and challenge for you this morning. God is calling you. He has invited you. Can you hear it? Do you have someone that's that you're watching? Do you have someone that's watching you? Do you have someone that is now releasing you and and, and watching either from a hands-on standpoint or from a standpoint that's back? And are you doing that to someone else? And I'll tell you right now, one of the coolest gifts that I get to have is releasing people for the work of God's ministry. And it does not say anywhere in Scripture that it's a pastor's job to do that. God says it's the role of the saints. It's your job. I get the coolest seat in the house to watch it work, like we did with these 20 people, and with every single volunteer that had cried with them and prayed with them and walked with them. It's the coolest thing that I get to do is see that process happen. Are you going to start today to hear that you are the least of these and begin that process that Jesus strategically laid out for us? Let's pray.